pray. Father, we ask your blessing on your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Martin Buber was a famous uh, Jewish rabbi, and he described biblical faith as dialogical. That is, God is in constant communication with his people, and they with him. I've spent enough time uh, reading, uh, going through counseling myself, and counseling people to realize that the best way that we come to know who we are is through dialogue. One of the things that kills a marriage is when you quit talking. Because you really find out who somebody is or what's going on by talking together. And especially men uh, tend to be difficult. Uh, Paul Turnier tells of a man who, who uh, his wife said, you know, he's like an island. I can kind of circle around and go on the beach once in a while, but I can never really get in to the core of who he is and get to know him. And it's just so important that we have a dialogue with God, an ongoing discussion with God. God doesn't mind, in my opinion, he doesn't mind when you're mad at him. He, doesn't, he would rather have you talk to him than just have your indifference. Mm -hmm. The one thing he doesn't do very well with is the silent treatment. And he longs to be in constant dialogue with you. And I want to illustrate that from two Psalms today. They're back to back. And uh, the first is Psalm 3. We're going to go real quick pretty much through that one. You'll see it's a Psalm of David regarding the time Ab uh, David's son Absalom was trying to take away his kingdom. And Absalom had the support of some of David's best friends. The head of David's military went with David's son against David. The, 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 the leaders of Israel, some of the key advisors to the king, went with Absalom against the king David. And he was brokenhearted by that. And he, he writes this song. Uh, oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. Notice the word many. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. Uh, I want you to hear the, the, the formula here of lament, of crying out to God. Not saying, oh God, you're great and everything's always wonderful, but saying, God, I don't like this very much right now. It's dialogical. We're in communication. What do we like? What don't we like? He says, uh, and as he talks about so many, you begin to realize that David finally, towards the end of his life, we have a, a hundred pages in the Bible that tell us about King David's life, from a boy all the way to his death. And now he's in a place where there's world peace for him. There's international peace for his country. And you know what happens? Problems come up from within the country itself. And it's his own son who tries to take away everything his father has. And he's, he says, these people feel like they're against me. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Notice what was the first word there. But, but you, O Lord, are a shield. You are my glory. Sorry, did you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> Siri, I guess, uh, doesn't like the message so far. Uh, and could you... Uh, you're the one Lord who's with me, and I cry out, God, to you. And, and he answered me. Uh, in verse 5, I lay down and slept. I mean, think about this. Everybody's trying to kill this man. He's, he's, it doesn't matter even to him probably about the kingdom at this point. He's fighting for his life. And, uh, you know, the parallel we have with Ukraine, I, 
in my last three weeks, uh, I was in Minnesota, three weeks ago, I was in Minnesota for a week to do my father-in-law's funeral. Then I flew to Sweden, working with a New Life uh, network of churches in Stockholm, and working with John Bentinger. We brought uh, 250 uh, Ukrainians into Sweden now and placed them in churches all over the country. And then I was in Estonia for a week, doing a pastor's conference, helping to start the first Ukrainian Baptist church in the town of Tallinn, Estonia. And, uh, you know, 32,000 immigrants from uh, refugees from, Estonia, from Ukraine and Estonia right now, just trying to deal with uh, significant problems there in significant ways. And when you see all of that going on, and you realize at the core there's a, there's a guy in Kiev who is, knows that the Russians would love nothing better in their leadership than to kill him. That must be how David felt. Everybody's trying to get rid of me here, and he's on the run. And yet he says, you know what? Here's a funny thing. I lay down and I went to sleep. And I woke up in safety because God was watching over me. His confidence could no longer be in his military. His confidence could no longer be in some of his best advisors and friends. His confidence couldn't even be in his own family. But he says, that doesn't matter. I can sleep and rest because God is watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Verse 7, arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap, I love this, slap all my enemies in the face. You ever feel that way? <laughs> you got somebody at work who's just rude to you. You have no idea why this person doesn't like you. You have no idea why, uh, you know, somebody, a neighbor or a relative or somebody is just mean to you. Slap them in the face, God. Shatter the teeth of the wicked ones. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. So it's funny. Hey, God, all those rude people out there, all those evil people out there, slap them around a little bit. Hey, wake up. Clint, come here. Just stand right down here. I'm sorry I didn't ask permission for this. Hey, Clint. Wake up. It works. Give him a little reality check, God. Wake him up. And he says, uh, uh, but then he goes right into the victory comes from you. He goes from, come against the evil, but God, thank you for the good. And then he, the next psalm, and I think they're put together on purpose. Psalm 4, you'll see it together by David, uh, to be accompanied by string instruments. Uh, the Hebrew says, according to the giddeth, which is guitar. Uh, so, good guitar. Going to shake? No. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. About 44 of the Psalms are written for guitar. 44 out of 150. So they're not all written for orchestra and choir. A lot of them are written to be quiet songs. And in Israel, they used to think that Psalm 4 was what they called an evening hymn. It was meant to be played like a song later in the day about God's fatherly care and God's mercy. Um, Answer me when I call to you, O God. Is it working or not working? If not, just turn to Psalm 4 in your own Bible and follow along. I call to you, O God, uh, who uh, declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. You'll notice that he, there are five imperative statements. Five strong statements that he makes. Kind of like four re requests he makes. The first one is, answer me when I call to you, O God. Do we have that one? No? Are we like that? Go, go again. Answer me when I call to you, O God. Answer me when I call to you. Um, 
God, will you please let me know what's going on? Uh, if you have met with God for any time at all, there are times that you just don't understand what's going on. And uh, either because of maybe unconfessed, undealt with sin in your life, maybe because he's just testing you, maybe because it's just life. You're just kind of struggling. And you say, God, I need a clue here, God. I need some help here. God, what job should I take? God, uh, which woman should I take? God, which, uh, you know, is this a time for us to have a kid or not? God, which, you know, I just, I'm confused. I don't know what to do, God. I need some help. I need some guidance. God, would you please answer me when I call to you? The next thing he says, God, would you declare me innocent? All these people are accusing me. I need to know that you say to me that I'm innocent. The third thing, God, I need you to free me from my troubles. I need freedom. I can't be bound by all of this stuff that's going on around me. I need to know that somewhere at the core of the universe, there's a place that you can free me from these troubles. It won't have to always be like this. Four, have mercy on me. <coughs> Excuse me. The word mercy in Hebrew is hesed. It's a, it's a beautiful word that means that God loves you without any restrictions. It means that, that God has given you unmerited, unearned love and favor. Now, did you hear me say, you didn't earn this. Uh, you didn't earn this, God just gives it to you. When I was in sixth grade, I screwed up in Mrs. Bennett's class. And uh, I, I, I did something, I got sent to the principal's office, and uh, at the end of that year, after Christmas break, we came back the next January, and she, uh, she drew something on the blackboard, and then she took an eraser out, and he said, no, she said, I want you to know what I'm going to do, because, and I swear she was looking right at me, some of you have gotten in trouble with me big time in the last year, some of you made significant I'm just going to wipe the board clean, and we're going to start here in January, putting all that stuff behind us, and there's a clean slate for everybody in this class. I felt like I was saved all over again. You know, just that Mrs. Bennett was kind enough to, to actually say, I'm going to put all that stuff away. I'm not going to treat you like that. You know, it's interesting because it says God knows everything, right? But then it says he forgets our sins. Well, he can't forget our sins. He knows everything. But forgetting means he doesn't treat us like he remembers. And Mrs. Bennett said, I'm not going to treat you like I remember what happened the first half of the year. And God does that for you all the time. In fact, this word hesed is a beautiful word. It's only found 25 times in the whole Old Testament. And 16 of those 25 times are in the book of Psalms. And, and several of them are right in this particular chapter. So what David appeals to is the unmerited love and favor of God, undeserved. God doesn't love you because you're perfect. God doesn't love you because you try so hard. God doesn't love you because, you know, you come from such a great family. God doesn't love you because you've been through so much and now you need to be loved. God just loves you, period. Again. My mother used to tell me I was her favorite son, and I said, I'm your only son. And she said, that doesn't matter. 
she chose to love me as God chooses to love me. And, and he never fails me. He never lets me down. And then finally he says, hear my prayer. I need to be heard. 48 years of marriage, what have I learned about women? Not much. <laughs> Just to be honest. It's still a learning process. What I'm learning right now is what a woman is like when you're moving after 27 years. And the answer is she's crying every day because it's pretty traumatic for her. Mm. Uh, but one thing I've learned is there are just a whole lot of times you know what she wants from me? She just wants to know I hear her. She sometimes doesn't feel like I'm, I'm understanding what she's saying and she wants to be heard. I think all of us want that, not just women. Hear me. Verse 2, how long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lives? Friends, if this hasn't happened to you yet in life, I can guarantee you it will happen to you. You will go through times like that where you will not understand why people are treating you the way they're treating you. And to be able to talk to God in those days of shame and embarrassment, saying, how long is this going to go on? When is it going to end? They're, they're affecting my reputation. They're accusing me. They're lying. It happens in life. And you've got to be able to cope with that. And the best way to cope with that, verse 3, you can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call him. You can be sure of this. You, you can know this for sure. That God is still with you. God has set you. God has selected you. God has chosen you. God has set you apart. You're, you're his person. And he's going to be with you in those times. Derek Kidner writes, God's choice of a person not merely for office or honor, but for fellowship and relationship, is the ultimate answer to the most wounding of aspirations and discouragement. Uh, all those cruel things people say. And prayer, prayer throws itself into the hands of God. It says at the end of this verse 3, the Lord will answer when I call to him. I was thinking this week about words, like uh, there's a word, okay, emotional. Why, why are you so, and it's interesting how, do you have emotions? Anybody here have emotions? Oh, okay, we all do, especially guys in the back. We, we all have emotions. But somebody says to you, why are you being so emotional? Well, it's like a negative thing or something. Well, I'm being emotional because I'm emotional. I have emotions. But sometimes we take things that are just part of our humanity, part of the things that we all share together, we kind of can turn them into negatives. There's nothing wrong. When, when people say to, you, to me, why are you being so emotional? They don't mean, why are you being so happy today? You know, generally it's viewed as, as a negative kind of a term. And I know that whatever I have as my human emotions, I have a God who can relate to that and who I can talk to. <clears throat> Verse 4, don't sin by letting anger control you. This is another one of those imperative statements. Uh, it doesn't say it's a sin to get angry. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It says uh, it is 
say what it says here, that anger can, can be a bad thing, can take control of you. We'll see more in a minute. Don't let it control you. Well, how can we be free from anger? Look what he says. Number one, think about it overnight. When you get really mad, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to be really controlled enough to not react, but to uh, be thoughtful about it. Look at the look at it like a Rubik's cube from different dimensions. See the points that different people are making. Look at the whole situation and see if you have a piece of it. Uh, I, I like the story, there were two nurses who worked together, true story, and one of them was always complaining about this person who had hurt her. And the, uh, her, her nurse friend uh, said to her, well, was any part of this your fault? And she said, well, I don't think so. She said, well, what about like, was 5% five, five of it? Uh, the whole problem was 5% of it your fault. And she said, well, I, I suppose, yeah, sure, 5% of it was my fault. She said, go and apologize to her for the 5%. sense to you until you're in that situation and you do what that nurse said. And go and apologize to the person for the part of it. I wouldn't say 5% to the other person. I'd just say, and I've had to do this. I've had people in my life that were not nice to me, and the Bible says, as much as it lies with you, don't hold things against people. Don't. And I've had to go to them and say, you know, part of this was my fault. I apologize to you. And you know what happens? We have a great conversation. Because they know that part of it was their fault too and we can finally just let this thing go and move forward. Don't let sin anger control you. Think about it overnight. Number two, uh, remain silent. Somebody said, uh, watch your words or in your anger you will give the best speech, the most dynamic speech you ever gave that you will regret for the rest of your life. Uh, be quiet. Just... Uh, Wisdom is to not say just the venting that you want to do at times. Uh, verse 5, offer sacrifices in the right spirit. I think that's the saying, I'm sorry. I think that's the acknowledging that some of it is your fault. And trust the Lord is the final thing, number four. Just trust God. Covey, Stephen Covey's written a lot about the tr trust. His son wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. Tr you realize that trust is such a core issue in every area of life. If, uh, if your spouse doesn't trust you, you're going to have a pretty awful relationship. If the people at work don't trust you, if your boss doesn't trust you, it's not going to be fun working for that person. If, if you cannot trust other people and learn to give people a chance, you're not going to be a whole lot of fun to work. Trust here the Lord. Uh, that's the one at the center of the world that you can trust. And then Ephesians 4, I like the way Paul explains this. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Notice how he's quoting this psalm. It's in quotes. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Why is anger such a problem? Because the devil gets his foot in the door when your anger starts to control you. And one of the reasons you need to give it a minute, take a time out. There's a great verse in Proverbs that says, better to live alone on the roof than to have a meal with a contentious woman. 
And what it's saying is there come times in relationships where there's tension, arguing, fighting even, when you just have to walk away from each other for a while and just take a time out and chill out a little bit. It's not going to do... Uh, uh, John Gottman studied marriage for years at the University of uh, Washington, and probably the most knowledgeable guy. He can predict within 94% by talking to you for five minutes if you're going to get divorced or not. And, uh, and he talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and how he can see the things that are breaking up a relationship, uh, breaking up a marriage. And he says, once you become emotionally flooded in any discussion, I think this is even at work or anywhere like, anytime you are, your pulse is racing, your body temperature is growing up, you are emotionally flooded, he says there is not one positive thing that can happen in any relationship, not one. And you need to have the, the wisdom to not give in to your anger, to quiet your heart, and walk away until you can calm down again and have a civil conversation. I wish the people in Washington, D.C. could do that, by the way. <laughs> uh, the next part says freedom from anxiety. Many people say, who will show us better times? How can we let, let your face uh, smile on us, God? God, we need to know that you're with us. Uh, I worked for the last seven years up until uh, last December at uh, Journey of Faith Church in Manhattan Beach, California. It's a lot, 3,000 people, big church. The, the pastor, Jason Cusick, this book just came out this month. And it, it's his story of his lifelong battle with anxiety. He has, has significant issues with anxiety, and he has the subtext here is healthy habits for long term healing. I, I would recommend this book to you if you're struggling with anxiety because he talks about the things that have helped him that he's learned through the years. And he's a very good teacher and it's, I think it's actually a very entertaining book. But if you've got anxiety, do something to deal with it. There's so many resources now. And get some counseling. Get the help that you need from somebody. We've got so many people in LA who can help you with stuff. Um, numbers verse 7, you've given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. It tells us, uh, it's referring here to the Jewish blessing. You know, the Lord, bless, the blessing of the Levites have, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. Lord, that's what he's referring to here. Uh, smile on us, God. Give us joy. C.S. Lewis wrote, we will never know joy by seeking it. Joy comes as a side effect of the presence of the living God. And then finally, he says in verse 8, in peace, he goes back to what he said in the previous chapter, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. He says the same thing he said in chapter 3. All this stuff going on, where do we find a safe place? Where do we find inner peace and, and safety? And you know what? The one thing your enemies cannot take away from you is that if you really have that with God. I'm done. Pray for a moment. And if there is somebody who comes against you, if there's struggle, anxiety, problems in your married life, relationally, whatever it is, just, just pray and ask God to help you in that area right now, just in the privacy of your own thoughts. Just ask God for help. If you don't even know what to ask for, that's the best prayer. Just say, help. 